cup of tea tales, a lifetime of eating out. Brian's, Nash's, Harry Ramsden's, the Acorn, the Flying Pizza and Indian restaurants. When I was little in the late 1950s and 60s, eating out was a very rare treat. The usual locations were fish and chip shops, when on holiday at Bridlington, Scarborough or any of the other Yorkshire coastal resorts. The only other occasions tended to be either returning from a day trip and stopping off at Harry Ramsden's at Geisley's or Nash's at Chapel Allerton with my grandma. Very occasionally we went into Nash's in Leeds when I was with my mother shopping. All these venues seemed posh to us and fish and chips came with triangles of bread and butter and tea served with a silver teapot and milk jug. We had to sit quietly and be well behaved, and it was a ritual that made us feel we were lucky to be enjoying such fare. There may well have been other types of restaurants, but we never frequented them, and to be honest, I don't remember any, apart from the cafeterias in the large department stores such as Schofield's. At these times, you rarely saw anyone eating in the street. It was viewed as uncouth, and in fact you could be in serious trouble if you were caught eating in public, wearing your roundy school uniform. I remember the dreaded Miss Ellis, who lived opposite our house in Gipton Wood Crescent, contacting roundy girls' schools to report a girl who lived nearby for such an offence, and she got into quite serious trouble. I believe the girl was Kirsty Fraser, and her family knew mine quite well. This report added another dimension to our fear of Miss Ellis. The elderly music teacher kept our balls, not personal ones, if they went into her garden and would knock angrily on the window if she caught us trying to sneak in to retrieve one. The only exception to eating in public was fish and chips eaten from newspaper. For some reason that was acceptable and the smell of well-cooked times with scraps covered in salt and vinegar mingled with the fat oozing onto the paper lingers to this day and would have contributed to my father's early heart attack. For anyone who isn't aware, scraps were the bits of batter that broke away from the fish and built up during the frying process. They were unwanted by the fish shops and given away to anyone ordering. As I got a little older, I became more aware of cafes and coffee bars, which were opening up all over Leeds. We would frequently go to the coffee bar next to the pet shop at Airhills, and I loved the jam tarts. There were large mirrors on the wall that made the room appear bigger than it was. Occasionally, we would have a visit to one of the cafes in the market or in the city, and these were often Italian or Greek-owned. It was in these that I first caught a glimpse of the exotic, frothy coffee, served in a glass cup and saucer. The machines that made them were chrome and shiny and involved knobs that turned, steam that hissed, and a great deal of manipulation, and had a wonderfully aromatic odour. These cafes also had a selection of cakes, some of which were familiar, but some had layers of pastry, nuts, and were covered in honey, far too fancy for my undeveloped taste, so I stayed with the jam tarts, or sometimes the little fruit pies with fresh cream swirled on top. I grew up with a very simple palate, and we had a very plain fare at home. 
The kitchens in the house we lived in were tiny and didn't allow for gourmet cookery, which is good, as my mother, whom I loved dearly, was a master of the basics. Mince, sausages and pies were in her repertoire, and when we had a fridge, fish fingers, frozen burgers, tinned Frey Bentos pies, and later, Vesta meals. Who can forget chop suey with crispy noodles, chicken surprise, or chicken chow mein? I've grown up thinking fish had hands, as all we ate were fish fingers. I would add copious amounts of Heinz tomato sauce to any meal. For dessert, it was rice pudding, usually ambrosia creamed rice, or Heinz tin steam puddings. Pierce the lid and boil in a pan. These always came with custard. Sunday was salad, and that meant some ham, a lettuce leaf, half a tomato, and some bread and butter. Variations were a slice of tongue, which I hated, or half a sausage roll. I still remember feeling half-starved, but I suppose it was easier on my mum. Nothing much seemed to change until I got to high school and started going out, and eventually from the age of 14 to pubs. Luckily, I had various jobs to help subsidise the pocket money. Pubs would sometimes be visited by seafood sellers with cockles and mussels on sale in little cardboard tubs or paper bags, and you got a wooden fork to eat them. I was never keen, as it was alien to my limited diet. As teenagers, we started hanging out in coffee bars such as the Texas Grill and Del Rio's, and there I broadened my horizon just a little. Hot chocolate became a favourite, and eventually, coffee. As we hung around Moortown Corner at the Chained Bull, or around Oakwood, and we had more disposable income, we started to eat out as part of our social meetings. The small parade at Oakwood in the late 1960s and early 70s had Jones of Oakwood Electrical Store and a range of specialty shops. But a new place opened, offering a cheap and new experience. It was called the Acorn, and it was a pizza bar. I'd never had a pizza and didn't have anything to compare it with, but for us, it opened up a new venue to socialise. It mainly did takeaways, but it had a section at the back that had two levels and had several tables where you could eat in. It seemed very trendy and opened until late. It was run, I believe, by two young couples who had the confidence and flair of go-getting fashionable entrepreneurs. With good-looking, hard-working young owners, the place was a buzz, and we became regulars. Basically, you paid for cheese and tomato on a bread base, but it was quickly served, tasted fantastic, and there was a wide range of variations, and it was relaxed and cheap. It had everything we wanted. It certainly seemed to thrive for a time, but eventually disappeared, and new players appeared on the scene. One of these worked on a similar principle, but it was a step up in decoration and setting and offered a wide range of Italian meals. The flying pizza on Street Lane appeared with much larger premises, a new and more opulent decor with indoor and outdoor tables, and was licensed. Their success was almost immediate and queues always seemed to stretch out from its doors, and probably still do, all these many years later. We used to go with our group of friends and ten or twelve of us would chat, eat, conspire and discuss music, the band, the world and the meaning of life. 
Going out to eat became an activity that everyone could experience and enjoy, and restaurants abounded, reflecting the wide background cultures of Leeds residents. Venues stayed open reasonably late, and families, couples and groups of teenagers such as ours frequented different eateries. It wasn't long before pubs joined in the act and began to offer meals and have dining sections. Specialist venues such as Burnie Inns began to appear, adding to the options. The fish and chip shop still had a special place. My parents, and sometimes with me and my brothers, would go to Brian's at Headingley. It was similar to Nash's and Harry Ramsden's. The service was good, the portions enormous, and the bit of lemon and bread and butter added a touch of class. The place was always busy, and I remember going in the 1970s and Colin Welland, the actor from Zeg Cars, and many films, including Kess, was sitting there eating and enjoying himself. The car park was tiny and difficult to manoeuvre, as my father discovered on more than one occasion, with the bollards leaving telltale signs on the car. Street parking was at a premium, and I'm sure that many tickets must have been given over the years, the local residents must have become quite frustrated with parking across driveways and entrances. As we got older, no night out would have been complete without a visit to an Indian restaurant. Opening late and licensed, they were a great way to extend an evening, particularly as they were relatively inexpensive. I grew to love a curry, and they became more necessary as they lined the stomach after too many pints. The restaurants around Hare Hills, Oakwood and Chapel Allerton became our haunts and still are when I catch up with my friends in Leeds. I've seen staff put up with some dreadful treatment and racism over the years, but they always remained polite and kept a smile on their faces no matter what they must have been feeling inside. As we sampled the range of curry delicacies, we began to show our bravado and trying to outdo each other by eating the hottest vindaloo became a frequent challenge. I must say that my friend Pete has an asbestos mouth and nothing seemed to daunt him, but I did see him coming close to defeat once or twice. Whilst I was a student in London, my friend Patrick and I went to a local restaurant to try their hottest curry. As we were walking in, Ralph McTell of Streets of London fame walked out. The curry we took home was totally inedible, but we learned the lesson the hard way. Of course, fashions change, and new cultures have brought their own flavours, and Chinese, Thai and Japanese restaurants became very fashionable, but recently less so. Indian cuisine has remained very popular, particularly as they often their only venues open late at night. Through all the changes since I was a child, the humble fish and chip shop has remained a constant, and still seems to thrive. One that hasn't changed in all these years is the Art Deco shop at Oakwood. If you enjoy my tales, then you might be interested in knowing that there are two collections of them. The first, A Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and the second, Another Cup of Tea, The Teenage Years. Both are available as paperback from Amazon and ebooks from Kindle.